This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code DEVCHAT at Sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code DEVCHAT at Sentry.io. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Ruby Rogues podcast. Uh, this week on our panel, we have Eric Berry. Hey! Dave Kimura. Hey, everyone. Nate Hopkins. Hello, hello. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. And real quick, since I have the mic, I'm starting a new show. It'll probably be out by the time this goes live. It is called The DevRev. It's about freedom in your development career. Yeah, DevRev, Dev Developer Revolution. So uh, hopefully you'll get some ideas on how you can make your life better, your job better, and uh, you know contribute to the community if that's what you're into. So anyway... We have a special guest this week, and that is Pedro Cavaliero. I hope I said that somewhat close to correct. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's almost correct. It's Cavaliero, but yeah, it's hello, everyone. <laughs> now, is that Spanish, Portuguese, something else? It's Portuguese. Portuguese. It means gentleman, so at your services. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> awesome. Very cool. Well, do you want to give us just a little bit of an introduction, who you are, why you're famous? <laughs> no, I'm famous. Besides, besides the acting. <laughs> Okay, so I'm backend developer. I worked with web technologies for the past almost 10 years now. Nowadays, I work with Ruby language mostly, and I do some DevOps stuff as well. So I, I really enjoy working with Docker and some SysOps stuff. And currently, I'm working, I just moved to, to Germany, to Hamburg, and I'm working for the Zinc company. It's um, social network employment thing related stuff. It's a very very big company with a lot of developers and, and people in here from, from technology. <laughs> nice. Now, one of the things that you posted in our preparation documents, and it's funny because this is very germane to an episode we put out a month or so ago about when to write your own solution, when to find an open source solution, when to find a paid solution. And, and I'm curious if you want to just kind of get that rolling. I'll put a link to the other episode in the show notes, but you know, how do you make that decision? Yeah, I think there's no like magic receipt for doing that kind of decision, but it really depends on your needs, on how much money do you have, on how much time do you have, the size of your team and everything else. For example, uh, at the time that I wrote that article, I was working in a small startup. The whole IT team, the development team was, if I'm not wrong, 10 or, or 12 people. And since as a startup, we were developing things in a very fast speed, and we had to deliver a lot of stuff. So for us, we tried to, we preferred to use Heroku at the time because we didn't have even time and money and people to have like a specialist for ops stuff, for uh, sysops things. So we just preferred to, to use a hosted solution. 
that will maybe would be a little more expensive, but it will save us a lot of time and will make things a lot easier for us to, to develop. We'll just have to worry about developing our, our stuff instead of building the whole infrastructure level to, for, for it to, to work. But the, my current company, uh, since I, I just said about that, it's a quite bigger company. It has, I don't have the exact number of developers, but I think it's like 400, 500, something like that. And they have their own ops teams, a lot of different ops teams. And they have it's they, their own infrastructure. They built their own tools for providing an infrastructure for the development teams. So they have more money, they have more time, they have more people. So and, and the things that they need, somehow they need to be more scalable. And I don't know exactly the, the reasons why they choose to build their own solutions. But it seems it makes sense for me nowadays. I'm working there, so it really depends on your use case and your requirements for company and and what you your what's available for you at a given time. Yeah, one of my things about hosted solutions, and you know, I'll preface this with I love hosted solutions. You know, I have a rack of servers. I love hosting things myself, especially like Doku and, you know, my own self-hosted GitLab instance. So I'm all about that. But there is a hidden cost that a lot of people really don't think about. And when you host your own solution, you own that hardware. So if that hardware fails, hard drives fail, or solid state drives go bad, then you have to replace them. And if you don't have any replacements on hand, then you run the risk of losing data. And that then goes along with the side of losing data. You know, how are you doing your backups? How are you really managing that environment where it is stable? Uh, Do you have multiple internet connections coming in with a DNS failover? So I think that there's a lot of more of the hidden costs with the infrastructure that a lot of people don't really think about. So I don't put anything in my home lab that is generating revenue. So anything that is really my breadwinner, things that are really part of my core business, I will push to something like Heroku or my preference, Elastic Beanstalk. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. People usually think that if you compare like having your own infrastructure or even like using a cloud platform like Amazon Web Services, for example, they will all always think that this is cheaper than having like a hosted solution, a managed solution, just like Heroku, for example. People usually don't remember that you have to take care of everything else that they usually take care for you. Like, uh, for example, if you have your self-hosted infrastructure, exactly the same stuff that you, you said, you have to remember about backup and about the, the power failure and internet connection and uh, scalable issues and everything else like hardware related stuff. And if you have like even in Amazon that they they manage all this stuff for you, you still have to deal with all the managing of the of the servers uh, themselves, like log managing and scalability issues and updating your operational system and everything's related. So you will have to spend time on that, and you have to have someone to really care about that and the time of of a professional in this area costs money so in the end you'll end up paying sometimes even more than paying using a hosted solution like Heroku. Yeah, that's that's usually a discussion that I wind up having and especially now that devchat.tv has been growing and the way that we're growing and some of the directions that I want to head in, yeah, it's okay, well do I want to pay somebody to do this or can I find a service that will do it for less and that will do it better for less, right? Because they have this consistency factor that they've already worked out that I don't have to figure out. 
But uh, sometimes it makes a ton of sense to me just to have some system set up, you know, that I'm running and managing and that, you know, that takes care of a lot of things for me. So yeah, there's definitely a trade-off there. One nice thing about AWS Elastic Beanstalk now is that you can have it in a auto maintenance mode where it'll update the AMI, use a different AMI. And it's a pretty safe thing if you have more than two instances running at the same time because it'll update one instance and it'll wait for that instance to become healthy. If that instance is healthy, then it'll put it into the load balancer and then do the second instance. So you're keeping up with security updates and stuff automatically. They also have something similar with their other services. If you use their RDS or their database engines, then it'll auto update to a later version. And it does a pretty good job of doing backups and snapshots and all that stuff. So from an infrastructure standpoint, if your application is really simple, then you don't have to do too much configuration or support with Beanstalk. But you're also kind of limited to that ecosystem if that's the route you choose. Yeah, that's, that's new to me. I worked with Amazon Web Services in the, in the past years, but this is a, I imagine this is a recent feature that they have. It seems to be very useful for people that rely on, mainly on, on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Hey Pedro, why don't you uh, briefly talk about the the article that you wrote? And I'd like to get some history as to why did you write that? And and you mentioned one of the things that the reason that you went that path last year, which is when you wrote it, you might not have made the same choices this year. So first, can you give us some context into the article, what it is we're talking about, and then and then also like where are we now? Okay, uh, so at the time, as I've said before, I was working in a small startup and we were using Heroku for most server stuff that almost every piece of software that we, we were building, we were releasing on Heroku. But uh, we, were, we were migrating from an, an old platform written in a different language that wasn't, uh, was quite complicated to put that on Heroku as well. So we were trying to like each week, bring more stuff into the new platform, like rewriting part by part. And we were needing, uh, we had had this, this need for some specific routing rules that uh, needed to be done using, for example, Nginx. We, we choose Nginx because we had some experience with that. And at that time, we could have done that using Heroku, but it wouldn't be so much easier because Heroku can build like a, a custom build pack but it's not so easy. And if you want to change the build pack, you have to like upload it again and do a lot of stuff and it's slow and everything else. So we were working with Heroku in some, some smaller things. And we thought about, oh, why don't we just, just try to build our own like automated environment and do some kind of automation to, to help us with our infrastructure needs. So at the time I tried to build something that could be easy to use just like Heroku was for us at that time, for like having a, one simple comment to deploy the whole, whole application and being able to, to tail the log systems and being able to restart the application and being able to, to connect to the remote console and everything else. So we wanted these this main things that we, we liked on Heroku, but we, with the flexibility we, we needed at that time related to infrastructure and routing things. So we basically, I and some colleagues, we wrote a small automation script in Ruby that used Heroku and 
basically it's an SSH connect and do a lot of stuff in the remote machine. It's fairly simple to do, but in the end, it really it was worked really well for us. It was fast to deploy and it was like quite robust. And yeah, it's we ended up using like a, this homemade solution for for deployments using Docker and Ruby for I think more than six months in production uh, environment. So yeah, you should not do that, but we did. <laughs> <laughs> and But in, in the end, when we finished the migration, we just, okay, let's stop using this because we don't need it anymore. And then we migrated everything again to, to Heroku and started using only Heroku. But then my colleague told me, you should, maybe you should write an article about that because it was a useful solution for us and maybe this can be useful for other people. So I wrote this article. And at that time, I'm not sure if Doku already existed in that time. I think so, not sure. But we didn't have an idea idea of that of that tool. But nowadays, I probably wouldn't do the same thing again. I will try to look for some, probably I'll, I will use Doku or try to find any other similar solutions that can manage your like remote processes. It's It was a nice exercise for me. It was a nice experience doing that. But it's not, it was not like the the state of art of best practices and security thing uh, related stuff. So for large scale applications, that's not very good to do. But since we were like a small startup with just a um, couple hundred, a couple thousand access per day and uh, no one was trying to attack us and everything else, it was very okay to, to do it. Yeah, that's basically something like that. It really depends for us. The, the main reason is that the current available solutions didn't fit with our needs regarding infrastructure. They, they could fit, but they would be slow and we have to like to rebuild everything and it would take like one deploy would take like 10, 20 minutes or mm. maybe less. But with that solution, we could deploy a complete different infrastructure in like 30 seconds or one minute. Uh, and, and it was very good for us to be able to iterate and do things very fast without like disconnecting users from the current running application. Pedro, how much time did you invest in that, in that custom solution? Oh, I think maybe less than a week. I think maybe three, four days because I, I created the base, the base uh, solution and then, okay, now we need log tailing. Okay, let's create the log tailing. Now we need to connect to the remote hosting. Okay, let's do it. So I, I create a base deploy thing and then some days later, we were like incrementing it. And then it's, I think, less than a week for the, the whole process. And for writing the article, I think more like two days, probably something like that. Mm-hmm. One, one thing that I thought was interesting with this, because, you know, some of it we're talking about Docu, or we're talking about using other systems that, you know, you can deploy with Docker like you deploy with Heroku. And there are systems out there like Azure has a really robust Docker setup with Kubernetes and things like that. And so you can you do a lot of this stuff with them too, just depending on how you want to host it. I haven't really looked at Docker solutions in AWS, so I don't know what or how they compare. But uh, I've wound up talking to a lot of folks that work on Azure and it, it's, it's got some interesting stuff there. So it seems like there are gradations of this, right? Where it's, you know, Git push Heroku, super easy. You know, you might have to do a little bit more wrangling to get a Docker file into your program or into your... Uh, set up, you know, to deploy to Azure. But even then, Visual Studio Code has the plugin that helps you manage all that stuff. So, you know, where do you look at all of these different things and say, okay, well, 
because you mentioned I, I would just use Docu now. So yeah, how, how do you start evaluating those kinds of things as far as um, you know cost versus you know maybe one is a little bit more work but not necessarily a ton more work and so you know in, in a lot of ways the trade offs are smaller. I think I'm a big Heroku fan, uh, to be honest. Uh, if for me, I, I would use Heroku for everything and would suggest everyone to use that because I, I think the way they, they abstract things for us developers, it's just brilliant and you just, just don't have to worry about most stuff. But for example, in the company I work today, it would be quite expensive to have like a, a Heroku infrastructure because it's a very heavy, heavy load application and it would it will it won't it just won't work mm-hmm. so for me like uh, as a personal for personal projects i'll probably try to play around with this, this kind of tools uh, probably play with uh, heroku i have some personal projects running on my self hosted um, infrastructure but they are mostly for like for fun and nothing like production ready or like trying to generate profit from that right so but i think i don't have like one main reason to choose one or another but if if you can use a hosted solution if you you can pay a little more for that but being able to not have to hire people from taking care of your infrastructure i think it's good for you you'll probably be more agile be have like shorter iteration cycles between delivering software and everything else so i think for me at least from my experience uh, this can be an advantage advantage in the modern software world but if you you can stay with this hosted solution, with this managed solution, and you have to to have your own infrastructure. Or maybe, for example, uh, in my country, in Brazil, some all the government-related software must be self-hosted. You can't use an, like, an international server, so you have to use self-hosted. Mm-hmm. So, in some cases, you have to you don't you just can't use an, an international server or a hosted service. You have to use things locally. So, there in some some cases, you have to build your own infrastructure. So for that, I will try to use some services or some applications, some solution to try to simplify your life. I think the, the main point is it's all about abstractions. So if you're an sysops guy, you will try to abstract. You'll try to get something that abstracts the work for you. And your work will be an abstraction for people that don't understand about ops work. So mm-hmm. I always try to aim for that abstraction and, and helping people do their work without thinking about the work that you are doing for them. So Doku is one of those solutions. I've Personally, I've never used it. I just like read documentation, read, uh, saw some videos about that, but I, I've never never used it. But I've seen a lot of people talking good things about that. So I think that may be a good solution for like simple applications and, and self-hosted projects and, and everything else. Like in my, my company, my current company, they use Kubernetes and some other self-homemade solutions, but they work quite well. But again, I'm not sure what, what were the reasons for doing that, but I know that it works for them. So basically something like that. Yeah, it's pretty easy to get up and running with uh, Doku. And I'd say it's very similar to Kubernetes, except you don't get the nice platform as a service Heroku style that you would with Doku on Kubernetes. So I think that if you are a hobbyist and if you want to just really spin up to test out your applications or have it part of a CICD, then Doku is extremely useful. It's easy to set up. It's easy to use. Whereas going something like Kubernetes, I think that's going to give you a bit more of the infrastructure feel to things where you have a GUI that you can manage it 
and you have a lot more control over things. But there's also a lot more overhead with the initial provisioning of the environment. And there's a lot more abstraction that you don't really have visibility in, as well as the deployments aren't as simple. Yeah, I, I agree completely with that. It is remembers of me of recent story that happened with me. We were in the middle of like a hack week in the company, and we were basically building new applications and trying prototyping stuff and, and trying to, to make things work. And my team, we finished our application and we wanted to publish it and to give it to, the, to everyone in the company for everyone to use. But since my company, they have like a self-hosted infrastructure, we couldn't just like use Heroku and then publish the application and then give the link to everyone. We had to use the internal infrastructure. But that happened exactly that what you said. You It wasn't just like, okay, I want this piece of CAD code running into a Ruby machine and just, okay, run it and give me an endpoint. We had to set up the, the whole infrastructure and the, the whole cluster of containers with Kubernetes and all the continuous integration stuff with Jenkins and everything. It's like you had to like one week of work just to set up the environment so you could deploy one single Ruby Rails application. Some Sometimes you have to think that when you're like building something for someone, help with the rules. Sometimes they just want the, the simplest thing, the most simple thing, just to really test an application or prototype something. I think it's not exactly a problem that they have the way things this way, but they probably never thought that someone might want to use in a simple way, and that's, that's why they didn't build something very simple. They, they really built it for like production environment. And so, but sometimes this it's a little too much for, for a simple application or for a hack week, for example. That was our case. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I'd say, just a side note, if you are doing anything self-hosted or even if you push something up to Azure or AWS, use Let's Encrypt. You know, put some kind of security yeah. encryption on your connection. Even if you are just doing a demo application, it's free to do. And it's, you know, just protecting your environment. So it's just a smart choice. Now, yeah, um, those environments make that really easy to do as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was going to ask, I know uh, CodeFund, Code Sponsor for a while was hosted on Heroku. So, so where do you guys come down on making these kinds of decisions? I can I can touch on that, Eric. You know, I've always viewed solutions like Heroku or Beanstalk as an investment in a team member, especially when your when your team your initial dev team is small, and you're trying to optimize the resources that you do have, and you're very focused on feature development and app development. Reaching for a solution that that solves a lot of those problems for you just right out of the box, I've always viewed that as kind of balanced that against hiring a DevOps person that's dedicated to this and really paying attention to it. Now, obviously, that thing is going to scale eventually to the point where someone needs, uh, it needs a little more full-time attention, right? And, but I think in the early days of a project or a company, it's, it's a very legitimate uh, choice to choose a solution like a Heroku or a Beanstalk or any, any of those others, even a, even a, a Doku hosted on DigitalOcean or AWS or any of those kind of mitigates the need to burn cycles or in the early days on on trying to get your team to ramp up on something like Kubernetes or a more enterprise class type solution. So CodeFund is actually still on Heroku. We haven't actually hit that point where we're ready to roll off of it yet. I mean, we would like to eventually, but uh, right now it's still solving those same problems for us. Mm-hmm. 
That makes sense. I'm, I'm curious, you know, with everybody's experience here, I mean, you know, Dave's running Drifting Ruby, and I'm sure you're hosting that somewhere. You know, I think you mentioned Elastic Beanstalk. You know, Pedro wrote this article. I'm hosting devchat.tv and PodWrench, you know, and you all are hosting uh, CodeFund and things like that. At what point do you start looking at, okay, I'm paying too much for my infrastructure, or I could save a bunch of money, time, hassle, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, by making that changeover? So I'll speak on Drift and Ruby's environment because it's a little bit nuts for what the site actually is. So I use S3 Elastic Cache for Redis caching and background jobs queue management. I have EC2 instances for the actual application service. And I'm also using the uh, Elasticsearch. So, you know, I have several components and the monthly bill is under $100 in AWS. Whereas if I priced it out on something similar on Heroku, it would be $450 a month. So, you know, for me, it makes sense to go to Beanstalk. And the thing I like about Beanstalk is I get EB deploy to push up my new code to whichever environment I'm pushing it to. And it's relatively cheap as far as the monthly expenditures. You have reserved instances that you can pre-purchase, which makes it about 30% cheaper. And you also have the auto-scaling, where if your application starts getting a lot of hits on it, for whatever reason, it'll auto-scale up, adding in more instances automatically self-provisioning. So for me, it's something where I don't have to touch it very much. And I feel like if I were to run a Kubernetes or Doku at home, it would be something very similar where once those are kind of up and running, you can just push new code up to them. But, you know, I wouldn't put anything that I'm personally, you know, expecting a income for on my home lab because I don't have the infrastructure needed to sustain it, really. Yeah, I have a similar uh, story, but uh, an inverse story. When I, uh, <laughs> some friends of mine, they were running some basic application that basically keeps crawling some websites looking for, for some specific content. One day they, they called me because they were expending so much money on, on Heroku. They were expending more than $2,000 per month uh, on Heroku, just running the, the crawling systems. And it wasn't like a critical system that couldn't go offline and, and it was very okay if it goes offline for like one hour, no problem. If you have to reboot it, no problem. So we try to find a way to reduce the amount of money spent on that. And long story short, we changed it from, we removed the application from Heroku and put, uh, put it inside a local self-hosted uh, local machine with it basically, I think probably like $800 computer, very cheap computer, but okay that runs 24-7 and the only expenses with that is basically internet. I think it costs like probably $50 something per month and we had to buy one SSD, uh, one solid state disk for that. That was, I think, $100 (laughs) and yes, and and one micro uh, server on on Amazon for to use as, as a relay server for using like a reverse SSH tunnel. To, to be able to connect that machine to, to do maintenance, but it works. And now we almost, we spend like one over 20 times the amount of money that we were spending. And we have basically the same results that we are getting uh, paying that, that much time, money on, on Heroku. 
So in this example, it wasn't a like critical me uh, system. We didn't need uh, like external access. We didn't need to run uh, something that must be available for the whole internet. It was like a very local service. So in this case, a self-hosted solution was far better and and cheaper than using a, a hosted solution. So it really depends on your your needs, on your cases and and things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think sometimes we forget. I mean, some of the, sometimes those simpler old school type solutions, even when you just SSH to the machine, like stand up a VPS, SSH out, maybe use something like Capistrano, even for a production level app can sometimes still be enough depending on its use case. Yeah, I mean, that's what I'm doing. I have a virtual machine or virtual servers on DigitalOcean and I just, you know, I cap deploy and it's pretty solid. Every once in a while, I'll go log in and make sure everything's up to date, but I don't log into the server unless I have a real problem. Yeah, it can. some of this op stuff can turn into a tremendous time sink. For me, it's the, as a developer, you, you have these very fast feedback loops, right? In terms of, I write some code, I run it in the REPL, and I know what's happening. That feedback loop, when you're doing ops or something with Docker or pushing something out onto the cloud, can often take 15 minutes before you know what the result is. So you, you fat fingered some variable or something, and you have to wait 15 minutes to even see it. And by the time you get that feedback, you've forgotten what you were doing in the first place. <laughs> yeah, this this is exactly what I was talking about uh, before. Usually, this homemade or more old school solutions they are tend to be slower, and it depends on your needs. You need just need to be very fast and short iterations. As we are, we as developers, we get bored so so easily if we have to wait for like a test feedback or for deploy feedback, and we're just like, oh, I don't want to do this. I just get out of here and stop working on that. <laughs> so we have to be as fast as possible to to maintain the the developer's attention to focus on that matter. <laughs> yeah, David Brady always referred to that as his time to Twitter. And if the test didn't run or the deployment didn't run within that time to Twitter, then he was off doing something else. <laughs> Namely, checking Twitter. Do you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android. And all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now, and it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter DevChat in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter DevChat in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Um, you did give a talk on this. like It's not just a blog article, but there's a talk on this. So do, do you want to just talk about briefly about what you were hoping to accomplish with that talk? It was quite funny because I wrote this article and I really wasn't expecting anything out of it. 
and then in the end it was like translated in some few languages and then they invited me to do, to give this talk and then now I'm talking in a podcast about that so that's quite yeah. interesting <laughs> but in the talk I gave was they just invited me to okay talk about it and then maybe say what your thoughts about the, the, the article but in the end uh, I tried to show uh, people some important things that you might have to think when you're developing when you're writing something like that that, that thing that I, that I wrote so I showed some like good practices to, to use Docker, how to reduce your, the size of your image, how the Docker uh, layer system works. So you can uh, use that as an advantage for you when you when you're upload something to, to a, a Docker registry, where else, how to, how to write a, a good Docker file, what other stuff can you do with regarding this? Like, so the, I think the main point was you can do like, almost anything through automation. So depends on your needs, you can just basically build it. You just have to find some logic to it, uh, some like things that you can replicate and then mimic the behavior that will do it by, by hand and just write some, some scripts to do it for you. So I remember that in the end, I wrote a phrase, something like make life be easier for you by adapting the circumstances as much as you can. So... I think that the, the main point was that, so, okay, use these tools to, to make your life easier. And, and I gave some, some tips about using Docker and about why we didn't use other solutions like uh, Amazon Web Services or, or Heroku or Elastic Beanstalk, for example. Uh, at the time, I think we didn't use Elastic Beanstalk because it was, for our needs, it was quite slow to, to deploy the application. So we preferred to not use that. So, yeah, it was quite a good experience to talk about that. But I was quite nervous at that time, so mm-hmm. <laughs> my talk was not very good. <laughs> yep. There's one, one thing that uh, it's interesting to talk about. As I said, if we use that kind of solution in production, but it's not, uh, I would not recommend to, to, for people to do that as well, because we are human beings and we always make mistakes and we always forget some things. For example, everything worked quite good, but there was one small thing that I forgot to, to, to manage when I was doing that solution. I forgot to add the log rotate to our server. Mm-hmm. So we just run all the servers and then everything was running up and good. And yeah, nice, let's go home and everything else. And I think after maybe two months or maybe, I don't know, remember how, many, how much time the, did it take. But then one day, in the evening, the website just crashed and stopped working. And everyone was, oh my God, what happened? What the, was Someone deployed something. What could have happened? And, and no one had an idea of what, what was going on because we didn't change anything. And the website was completely stable before that. And then we, we were like, I think one or two hours completely offline. And then I just, oh my God, maybe, maybe the disk is full because I don't remember adding the log rotate to that to that service so i just tried to ssh into the machine and i, I could ssh into but every comment that i wrote was uh, showed like a message like could not output so i don't remember the exact message but it's very typical when you have a, a full disk so i have oh my god the disk is full so we okay shut up the, all the, the containers clean the disk uh, turn it on, on again and first thing that i did on the next day was creating the log rotate, uh, adding the log rotate to the container so with the logs would not uh, <laughs> um, like 
cleaned after some after like 10, 10 days they were automatically clean <laughs> so it's this is one of the reasons that it's I wouldn't recommend you doing like handmade uh, things for high throughput systems or for production ready systems. You can do it, but it's never a good idea. Also, we have to deal with security. We were using like just a, a plain Ruby Rails server. I think we were using Puma or something like that, but without mm-hmm. any uh, concern about, for example, DDoS. So if someone tried to to attack us by firing multiple requests at the same time, it will probably kill the, the process. So a lot of small problems that when you're a small when you're a small startup and you have a few people, you really don't care about that. But it's it's important to care about this this stuff. Even if you're smaller, uh, you have to to try to balance the time that you spend with. Okay, I know that security is is important and scalability is important and a good infrastructure is, is important. And everything else, but also you don't have to spend all the time with this. You have to deliver value and deliver a product and everything else. So you have to keep both in mind and try to, to balance the equation too. So you can have like a, at least a good quality product and a, 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 something that you can trust that will not break if something goes out of, of, of the expected. And, but also keep producing and keep adding value to, to your product. Yeah. I've run into that too, where usually it, it's stuff that I'm just using to manage just the podcasts, but yeah. I'll get it. I can't edit blah, blah, blah. And yeah, it, it was, it was the log rotate thing. Like, Oh, I didn't. <laughs> you feel dumb for a minute and then you go fix it. Exactly. <laughs> but that's part of the game, right? When you, mm-hmm. we love to, to try different stuff and, and to, to play with technologies. And then every new week we have different tools going out. And if it wasn't for like, we trying and experimenting, experimenting new, new stuff, I think our, our whole industry wouldn't be as fun as it is to nowadays because mm-hmm. like we can, we have the, the freedom to, to test and to sometimes break things and don't get fired because of that. <laughs> so that's even better <laughs> because yeah. it's part of, of our, our jobs. That's an excellent point in, in terms of just experimenting, getting more familiar with servers and DevOps and things like that. I think, you know, so a service like Beanstalk or Heroku makes it very easy to just push your app out into the world. But at at some point, as you dig deeper as a developer into some of the DevOps um, and server sysops type work, I think that knowledge starts to really seep in and makes you a better developer. And and having a good understanding of how some of those things work will actually change how you architect some of your solutions. Exactly. Um, I also find, though, that understanding those pieces a lot of folks are like, yeah, well, you know, I only use that when I deploy. But, you know, to Nate's point exactly, it's not just the way I architect things, but then I can troubleshoot it on my own machine if there's something goofy going on there in development. You know, if I have some SSH into Docker because I'm using that in development, I can get in and I know what I'm doing there. I mean, just setting up dependencies on my on my Mac, you know, a lot of those skills translate over. And then the other thing is, and, and this is one of the things that I'm, hitting hard when I look at uh, developer freedom is just, you know, a lot of this stuff, once I understand it, I can automate it. And so then it's consistent, it's reliable, and it's easy. Yeah, and to Pedro's point, when he, you know, when you guys went off and, and made your own custom solution and came off of Heroku, 
sure you gained a lot of knowledge through that experience that has benefited you even after going back to Heroku. So I think those experiments and some of that uh, bushwhacking that you do out, out there on your own is helpful even when you come back to these uh, solutions like Beanstalk or Heroku that, that provide so much for you out of the box. Yeah, exactly. And one important thing I think for career is knowing that, okay, we work maybe sometimes we have like, we work as a backend developer or as a frontend developer, or maybe with a system administrator, but still it's important for us to know what is beyond the boundaries of our own work, of our own role. I consider myself like a backend developer. I really don't consider myself an, an ops professional. But I understand a lot of the, this, this of Linux and, and and this infrastructure things, mostly because I want to know and I know that when I know more about this stuff, my work as a developer, as a backend developer, will will get better because I will I will understand how do my my code, how the Ruby or whatever language will communicate with the system and what should I be concerned about when I'm I'm developing some software like performance issues or scalability issues. Or, for example, there are some people that uh, are used to just work for nothing against these people. But, for example, there are some people that learn to to work with Ruby on Rails and they they get so used about having like active record or to do everything. And they they forget that there's like one thing called database behind that. And there's a, a whole world of databases and something called SQL <laughs> where you can write your own queries and people, there's a lot of people who just don't care about that and they, they think it's not their job, but it is their job. It's to knowing more than they what they are mean to do in their daily daily work. Yeah, well, and just to take that point, another step further, you have these components of your app, like the database and things like that. And a lot of times we hit a performance issue or something like that, and we start looking for the solution that we can implement in the code, where in reality it's a whole lot easier to set up a varnish server and, and get a little bit of front-loaded caching and load balancing and a couple of other things in place. And and that's a whole lot less work than going in and trying to re-architect your app to squeeze out a little bit more performance. All right, is there anything else that we should jump on before we hit picks? I really want to go try out Daku, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> me too, me too. <laughs> Maybe I'll change this this local service that I have with the, the crawling stuff to, to Doku. Currently, is basically, a, um, I think, a Docker Compose uh, because mm-hmm. it runs a lot of different containers. And I, when I have to, to do something, some maintenance, I just SSH into and then just like Docker Compose restart and everything else. Uh, but maybe I'll, I'll try, try to do some, some, some experiments with Docker. One thing that I really missed uh, when I'm, I was developing the solution was, you all know Heroku, it has this user interface that makes things very easy for you to see what's going on and being able to scale your servers. And one of the things that I most miss in other ways of working with software is the way that Heroku manages the, your environment values, environment variables. You have just this page and you're just logging into it and then configure everything and if you change a key, it will automatically restart all your your dynos, your your uh, applications, and the the environment key will be available everywhere. This is so much easier for me. I I, I was I think I was spoiled for because of that because I I went to work with something like that everywhere, and it's difficult. And I, I've seen some anything like that nowhere with other tools. I'm not sure if Doco has something like that, but I don't think so. 
I think I think they don't have something like that for for managing environment variables and for local self-hosting that you can it's even more difficult. So this is something that I would look for if I would try to to build my own solution or maybe use a, a, um, a solution like Doku or any other, maybe something that can make things more like visual for me to to be able to manage my services without necessarily having to log in into a shell, into a command line console and everything else and just running commands on that black screen. <laughs> this can be helpful. Yeah. Yeah, there are definitely some nice parts to uh, Heroku. All right, well, let's do some picks. Is your job search stuck? Maybe you're not getting any interviews with employers. Or maybe you are, but no job offers. Or you may be new and not even know where to start. This is Charles Maxwood, and I'm releasing a new course and ebook on how to find a job as a software developer. The course walks you through the process of finding the types of companies you want to work for, getting their attention, and putting your best foot forward as the candidate they want. I've coached dozens of developers in looking for jobs and have been able to help several people find jobs within two weeks to two months. So whether you're new to development, can't find a great job that fits what you want, or are looking for remote work from an area without a strong tech community, I can help. Go to getacoderjob.com and sign up today. Uh, Dave, do you want to start us off with picks? Yeah, sure. So my wife was away this weekend. I was stuck with the three, or I got to watch the three kids. (laughs) You got some quality time with your kids. Yes. And you know, she had a great time out, but I had to keep them occupied. So I went to Walmart and got a box of Legos and it was a huge hit. So Legos is one of my picks. We just got one of the classic build boxes and you know, we made a bunch of Legos. And for me, I picked up a Rubik's Cube because you know I wanted to play around with the Rubik's Cube and actually solve one in my lifetime. So my two picks are Rubik's Cubes and Legos, a bunch of Legos. Nice. Eric, what are your picks? Uh, Yeah, you know, this conversation that we've had has uh, really, really led me to think that DigitalOcean is is such a great player in the community. And they have the ability to launch a a Doku instance just on one of their um, droplets. And it's kind of a a no-work deal. And I've been working with DigitalOcean for a while. In fact, uh, Nate and I recently went to GitHub Universe, and they would they had a booth where I met uh, a couple of people there, uh, Joe Nash and uh, Daniel Zaltzman. And they're the guys behind uh, the Hacktoberfest that just went on. So I just want to, so for one of my picks, I want to call them out, Daniel Zaltzman, Joe Nash, and of course, Samantha Tse uh, over DigitalOcean. And also, uh, they are currently doing a, a thing where if you sign up, you get $100 free credit. So I'll link that in the uh, show notes. But if you haven't signed up for D- DigitalOcean yet and you want to try out what we're talking about, that's a great way to go. And then finally, they do have a new report that came out in October. It's the, um, they call it their, let me make sure I get this right. They call it their uh, seasonal report on developer trends in the cloud, the open source edition. It's fantastic information about which languages are being used in open source, who's using it, uh, which frameworks are being used, uh, complications, uh, demographics, all that stuff. So I've also linked that in the show notes. Nice. I'll have to have a look at that. Uh, Nate, what are your picks? So I just finished a show called Alone that's on the History Channel. Um, I really enjoyed it. It's actually kind of an, uh, a fascinating look at what happens to people when they're not just forced to survive in the wilderness, but when they have to do it 
completely alone. There's no film crew with them. They have to have their own. Uh, they've got like a box of camera equipment that they have to set up and film themselves. I'm not sure what the schedule is and when they come and pick that material up and put it back in for the show. But by and large, these folks are just out in the wilderness. They did they did this episode out in Patagonia in a remote part of Patagonia. And uh, yeah, just all the fears that you might have uh, of, you know, the night critters. <laughs> and and also for a lot of the folks, it's it's the lack of human contact that I mean, they, they kind of fancy themselves as survivalists and outdoors folks. Um, that are used to, you know, kind of shunning a lot of social interaction. But once they really get isolated, some of them, some of them can't handle it. They they want to get back into uh, the comforts of society and be around friends and family, even though that may not be their first preference. So it's kind of a fascinating look at, at what what happens when you're completely isolated that way. Interesting, really interesting. I've got a few picks of my own. So I've been listening to a podcast. And um, if you have a, a sensitivity to people using curse words, this is probably not a pick for you. But it's a podcast called MFCEO. And MF stands for mother effing. Um, you know, I try and keep a, keep a clean rating on here. So I won't directly quote anything from that. But um, anyway, it's for me, it's just been this. Uh, how do I put it? I really like people who call it how they see it and they're not worried about whether or not they're going to offend people by saying things that they believe. And um, this guy, he runs a supplement business. His name's Andy Frizzella. Um, and, uh, you know, he's a millionaire, um, you know, has a bunch of nice sports cars and things. Uh, but anyway, he just gets in and says, look, this is how you're, this is how to be successful. And he just tells you. And I've gotten a lot of inspiration from it. I don't know that I necessarily strongly agree or disagree with I, I strongly agree with a lot of what he said, but not necessarily everything. But I can't think of anything that he said that really just kind of went, uh, no, not really. And honestly, the other thing is, is that um, I think the, the world could use more people that are just calling things out um, as they are. Because even if they're wrong, we can then have the conversation about why they're wrong or why they're right or you know what the underlying solutions are in what they're saying. And so I, I really appreciate his um, feedback it also goes, a lot of what he says is in line with the pick that I had before, which is Extreme Ownership, which is a book um, by some former Navy SEALs about um, ownership and leadership. And I find that a lot of these ideas just kind of keep circling back, both in the area of how I run devchat.tv, as well as um, in general for people who are out there trying to make things work for themselves. Um, you've got to take ownership of it. Um, there may be things that aren't fair. There may be things that actually do actively work against you, but the largest, largest contributing factor to where you are is how you respond to it and what you do. And, uh, you know, that may be coming from somebody who grew up in the United States and generally has that freedom. You know, I, I don't know about other parts of the world, but at least here, that is definitely the case. So I'm going to pick that. The other thing that I've been doing is I've been ramping up on the email stuff again. I uh, just want to make sure that everybody's uh, able to uh, get all of the information that they want. And so I've been working in Drip, and you can get that at getdrip.com. I think they actually bought drip.com now that I think about it. But anyway, it's an email system that I use. Um, if you go uh, sign up, just go to rubyrogues.com and under subscribe, you'll see an email form for your email address. And if you put your email address in there, then we'll start sending you emails about uh, when there are new episodes 
And I'm also going to start sending out a lot of the developer freedom stuff that I've been working on lately. So um, if, if you want that stuff, then uh, definitely check it out. Uh, for the guys on the call here currently, um, the first set of those emails goes out next week. Um, but you'll still get the um, new episode notifications in the email because that's already set up. So anyway, definitely check that out and uh, go check out uh, the DevRev. That'll be at thedevrev.com. Uh, Pedro, what are your picks? I think most of us as work with IT, we, we, get to, we like to get into the zone while working and really focusing on something. Uh, for me, what really works, it's uh, listening to electronic music is very uh, repetitive and uh, no vocal music. So a lot of years ago, I found this, this radio called Digital Imported. Uh, the website is di.fm. I'm going to send in here. And they are, the, they are, I think they are the, the biggest radio, uh, you know, electronic radio uh, on the internet because um, they have channels for almost every kind of electronic music you can imagine. Really a lot of, 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 of channels. So for me, it really, it's really good to listen to them while, while working because I, it, they really help me to, to focus and concentrate while I'm doing my stuff. So this is one of them. And uh, the other one is a website called Shortcut Foo. It's basically a website where you can train your shortcuts for a lot of applications. For example, I use Vim, VI for, for developing. And this helped me, helped me a lot when I was starting because it really showed me how to to understand the way the, the key combinations worked and then practice it to get like faster at it with time. And it has like shortcuts for, I think for most code editors, uh, IDEs, and I think even for maybe Photoshop or something like that. Uh, but there are for different softwares, you, you can train your, your shortcuts uh, skills with that. So it's, it's also a useful tool to, to have on your favorites. That sounds awesome. If people want to find you online, where do they go? People can find me on my Twitter, P.E. Cavalheiro. Almost my, all my social networks are on the same, with my same, same username. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can put them in the links from the podcast. But um, on Twitter, on my uh, LinkedIn or Facebook or whatever, <laughs> pick, pick one a social network and just add me there and talk with me. I'll, I'll answer as soon as possible. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you for coming. And thanks to our panel. Uh, We'll go ahead and wrap this up and we will catch everybody next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.